Thank you. You may be seated, children. You may be dismissed for uh, Kids Church. See Sarah in the back there. Mike, thank you for thank you for playing. While the kids are on their way out, I want you just to kind of grab the connection card in front of you. Uh, everyone, please, everyone, grab a connection card in front of you, and I want you to look at that. And so this is something new that we're putting there. It's been connected to our our worship guide uh, for uh, for all these years now. And um, but Mike developed this and. The reason why I'm having everyone look at it is because one of the items on here is either change of information. Sometimes we have your information uh, in our in our system, and maybe you get a new cell phone, or maybe you move to a different address, or whatever the case is. This is a simple tool for you to just put, hey, change of information, and then we can update it in our planning document, uh, digital documents that we have, and it just helps us to be able to communicate with you more. For example, Easter starts at what time? 10 a.m. I'd love to be able to communicate that every single day, not until then, don't worry, but like the week of, like you, you hear from me on Monday, you get a text, hey, just remind you, 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock, at like four in the morning on Sunday morning, hey, it's at 10 o'clock today, just, <laughs> I'm kidding, I won't text you at four in the morning on Sunday, um, but that's what, you know, th- th- that's what this can be. And then also, prayer requests. And, and comments. You can, you can put those in here. If you have a, a prayer request, uh, I'd love to pray with you over the course of that next week and follow up with you on, on what's going on. So put your name, put your information, put a prayer request in there. Put it in the offering box at the back of, uh, of the table there. We, we're not going to go away from the offering box. Um, even you know, with COVID, we went away from the whole passing of the plate, but we're going to stick with the, with the offering box. I like that. It's a little more, how do I say this? It's a little more biblical in the sense that, you know, where we don't know what everyone, you know, everyone else is giving and stuff. You're just, as you're heading out there, that's between you and the Lord. Um, but I'm bringing back handshaking super soon. I, I miss that. I was standing back there and I'm like, we're bringing that back. We're going to put uh, hand sanitizers in the back. So after we're done shaking hands, you can uh, use that if you like. And if you don't want to, that's fine as well. But I miss that. But the offering box is here to stay. And so fill this out. Put a prayer request in there. Put a comment, something I can rejoice with you about or anything. So this is for not only our first-time guests or even returning guests. It's for everybody our entire church. So make use of this. We ordered thousands and thousands of these. And I'd love to, I'd love to go through these, uh, not because the kids are necessarily drawing on them, but because we're using them uh, for uh, those purposes. Well, we are finishing First Peter today. Hopefully, you've learned something. Hopefully, it isn't like in your heart, oh, finally. And if it is, I'm not sorry. <laughs> so this is our 28th sermon in First uh, Peter. And uh, those of you that know, that's kind of how I like to just preach, kind of just go just verse by verse through uh, different books of the Bible. That doesn't mean that we don't do, I'm dying to do a character study of the life of David, which uh, is over the course of multiple books. So we wouldn't go verse by verse through that. We just kind of go thematically, maybe through his life event oriented but um, a man in our church recently gave me a book on a shepherd's view or the shepherd's perspective of the 23rd Psalm. And then it had many other books that were connected to it. And I started devouring it. And I loved it so much that the Lord began to impress, like kind of more like begin to question, Ryan, would you ever revisit Psalm 23? Because I think I preached through that. I think it was like eight or nine years ago. 
And uh, for many of us in here, that would be, we, would not be, we wouldn't even have heard that. And, uh, and so I began to pray about it, and uh, we're actually going to start a mini-series leading up to Easter from Psalm 23. And we're going to look at how it kind of even ties to the Good Shepherd uh, in Jesus Christ. And so that's where we're headed next week. So if you want to read up on it, you say, well, I already know Psalm 23. Well, maybe once you read it a couple times uh, this week in preparation for next week. But we are finishing our series Between Two Worlds, Living in the World as We Look to the Next. And I've entitled our time together Standing Firm. You will see why we use that here in the text. Verse number 12, 1 Peter 5. Sorry if I haven't told you to turn there. 1 Peter 5, verse number 12. By Silvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose I've written briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. Wherein ye stand. The church that is at Babylon, elect together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus, which is simply the Latin word for Mark, my son, greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So as we wrap this study up, of the book of First Peter, I want to take a quick look back, and it will be quick, I promise, of what we've kind of learned throughout the course of this book. We've definitely learned that somehow trouble is going to knock on your door, and not only knock on your door, actually going to enter into your home and into your life. And it's going to happen often, and we've seen that in this book. We've seen how trouble is going to come to you simply because we live in a fallen world. This world, as we've learned, is a broken place. And there's nothing in the world that operates the way that it was intended to operate. The family does not operate the way it was intended. Your heart does not operate the way that it was originally meant to operate. Government does not operate the way that it is meant to operate. The church, in essence, does not operate the way that it was meant to operate. I don't know if you know this, but there's no perfect church. Are you aware of that? Now, the one that leads the church, the great shepherd, is absolutely perfect. But there's no church that is perfect. Why? Because we make up the church. The church is in a building. The church is a body of believers. And so there's no perfect church. Everything somehow has been dented or marred by the fall, and God has chosen for you to remain here, chosen for you to live in this type of world. We learned that it's not a mistake that that's the case. It's not some poor scheduling on God's part. It's not some mix-up of his plan. It is his plan. God means for you and God means for me to live here in this broken and fallen world. Why? To be a testimony of what the transforming power of Jesus Christ can do for people. See, you are left in your situations to struggle in those situations just like your lost coworkers and neighbors and friends, but you are meant to be a testimony of what Jesus can do in the midst of that type of suffering. As the world watches, 
You live with wisdom that's beyond you. As the world watches that you live as a person of grace, the world watches as you express the love of Jesus Christ. Christian, you have been part and become part of God's work of transformation. You are part of God's work of of restoration of this broken world. That means that you are going to live in the middle of this brokenness and you're going to be touched by it often. Why? Because you're left to live here. We've learned that in this book. We've also learned that we cannot escape trouble because God calls you to suffer. You remember those sermons? Remember how I got up and said, man, this is one of those texts that I wish I could just punt on. No, but God is going to take you to places you would never go. Why? To produce in you elements that you could never produce on your own. God is going to bring you to that refiner's fire that we have referenced in weeks past. God knows how self-reliant we are, how self-righteous I can be how full of our own wisdom we are. And God knows that he has got to take us to a place that is beyond our strength, that is beyond our righteousness, beyond our way of thinking. Why? So we can cling to his strength and his wisdom and to learn that we're not alone. Listen, true righteousness only ever begins. True, proper sanctification begins when you come to the end of yourself. And that is where God, hear me, likes to take you. He's not some, "Mm, I can't wait to ruin their life. No, it is love because he's going to take you to a place beyond you. Now that makes us feel uncomfortable, but it doesn't make God feel uncomfortable. It's the very place where he is going to remove this proud self-reliance and begin the, the transition of you holding on to him and to him alone. That's where God wants us. We've learned that in this book. But we've also learned that we're going to suffer because we stand for the radical truths of the gospel. Because of your claim of allegiance to Jesus Christ, and the louder that claim is, the louder that allegiance is, you're going to be misunderstood. You're going to be rejected. You're going to be mocked. You're going to face opposition. Why? Because of the stance that you take. Because of the kingdom mindset that I'm not living for here. I'm living for the next world. You're going to be mocked for that. Our society thinks that's odd. That you would give anything of yourself to help aid another country. What? That's silly. Why would you do that? Why don't you take care of your kingdom here? No, but we're living beyond ourselves. So what I've simply done is just summarize for you the message of 1 Peter. It is about living in a world of trouble that's going to always be entering in your door. And as we said, the remarkable thing about this letter is that when you're suffering, often you would want encouragement. And there is a lot of encouragement in this book. And it's tied to who you are in Christ. That's where your encouragement is. But Peter has done something so unique in this book. What he's done is he's given you and he's given me marching orders because Peter understands something. He has, a kind of, he has that pastoral mindset of when we're suffering and all we do is look in on ourselves, 
All we ever do is begin to kind of noodle through our problems and our troubles. It just makes things worse. And so Peter says, no, 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 no. You actually been connected to something bigger. You've been connected to, to God's kingdom work here in this world. So that now brings us to our last few verses of this passage. Let's look at it again, verse number 12. By Silvanus, the faithful brother unto you, as I suppose I've written briefly, exhorting and testifying, that this is the true grace of God wherein you stand. The truth that is at, excuse me, the church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus my son. Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you, all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So I want to start with the mysterious names here. Silvanus was probably the one who delivered Peter's letter for him. Uh, He may have also been Peter's scribe, but someone that Peter definitely was thankful for and definitely wanted to make sure that he was was noted. So that's most likely who uh, Silvanus is here. Uh, Marcus, as I said, it's the Latin surname for Mark. So Mark is Peter's protege in ministry. He's, he's a man that, that, that Peter is mentoring. He's saying that he's one of my, he's one of my sons or a son in the faith. He's, he's mentoring. He's bringing along Mark. So what in the world is the, the phrase of the church that is at, is at Babylon? Well, that is probably a reference to the church in Rome. And they're sending a greeting along with this letter from Peter. And so they're, so, so they're connecting the dots here of these, uh, of these people. Now, in these final words of closing, Peter really does touch on three overriding themes of this entire book. I like how he, I like how he concludes the book. I, I truly, I love these themes. So let's notice the first theme, the theme of grace. The theme of grace. Look at verse number 12 again. By Silvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose, I've written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. So whatever Peter says the topic has been, from chapter 1 all the way through chapter number 5. What Peter is saying here, he has been trying to communicate that we are now objects of this awesome grace of God in his redemption. Your reason for getting up in the morning is his grace. Your reason for courage in a hostile world is grace. Your reason for hope when all seems to be crashing, when the fiery trials are coming on, literally when, when in their day, when Rome is being burnt, trying to blame the Christians for it, your hope is his grace. It's all his grace. And what I love about First Peter is how that grace is a grace for the here and now. Peter definitely alludes to our past forgiveness in Jesus Christ, tying us into Christ. And he also alludes to our future home in heaven when he talks about how we're just sojourners. We're just, we're just aliens roaming around here, meaning like kind of like a foreign alien. Like this isn't our home. We're just a passing through and we're going to go to heaven, kind of the hence the two between two worlds. And so he alludes to both 
but the content of his letter and his book is really the, the here and the now. The grace for the everyday struggle, the struggle of the heart, the struggle of your circumstances of life. You have been bestowed, Peter says here, with grace and stand firm in that. He's reminding them of what he has been teaching. You've got grace. Do you believe that, my friend? Do you believe it? Are you standing firm in the reality of this true grace of God? So when I'm walking down the hallway to have another conversation with my argumentative child, any of you ever have argumentative children? Oh, i got to do this again. No, 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 I've got grace for this. I've got grace for this. Or when I get in my car or I get on a bus or I ride my bike, it's getting ready to be that time of year where you can ride your bike to work, how awesome that is. And maybe you know you're going into an area where you're not welcomed very well. Maybe because of your stand, maybe because you're outspoken in your allegiance for Jesus Christ, whatever, well, whatever the case is. But, but, but you know that you're getting ready to go to that place and there's grace for that day. You can say, no, 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 I, I, I'm not alone. I've been given the grace of a loving redeemer for these circumstances that I'm about to walk into Monday through Friday or whatever your work days are. When I'm fighting that inner struggle with sin, when I, when I feel defeated because I blow it again, where Satan comes and creeps into your, into your mind and says, where's your God now? You remind yourself of the grace that you have been given for that struggle. No, I'm not alone. I'm not left to my own strength and to my own wisdom. I have grace. I can win this battle because I have Jesus. There's grace for your marriage when you begin to realize that it's not the easy dream that you thought it was going to be. There's grace for that. There's grace for that late night where you're sitting on the edge of your bed and just wondering what is going to happen tomorrow. There's grace. There's grace for when you get up in years and you're like, man, I don't want to face the aches and pains of tomorrow. There's grace for even that. See, if you run through 1 Peter, grace is everywhere. In chapter 1, it is the uncomfortable grace of sanctification. Often God's grace comes to us in uncomfortable forms. In chapter 2, it is the, the grace of the new identity that you have in Christ. We're now a chosen race. We are a holy priesthood. We're literally people for God's own possession. That is grace. It's nothing that we've done. It's everything that he has done. He's advanced towards us. That is grace. In chapter 3, it's the grace for daily living. The mundane experiences of everyday life that all of us live that can kind of draw out of us irritation, impatience, struggle, right? There's grace for that. Chapter 4, it's presented in the awesome grace of God for suffering in those moments. And you're told that you're never alone. You're never in a circumstance, relationship, situation without the Lord, your Savior, the King who is the King of grace. He's with you. Chapter 5 turns to the church. And God has graced us in the church with leadership. And that leadership, hopefully, humbly, 
guides us, protects us, warns us, and encourages us. There's grace on every page and every paragraph of this letter. Does that grace in this book give you hope? We've been in this for months and months. This is the 28th sermon from it. Are you able in your heart and in your life, you don't have to confess it anyway, but in your heart you'd say, you know what? I have more hope now than I did at the beginning of this study. Why? Because I've seen grace through this. Has it produced more courage in you that even when the, 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 the government and the stuff that's around us from the kings down to the, to, to the local leaders are asking you to do things that you don't want to do? Does it give you courage to obey? Courage to, to, to live, to, to find out where that, that line is, to advance into a world that is hostile. But you've been given grace with that. Does that grace calm your fears and quiet your anxiety? Does that grace keep you from working through an endless catalog of what ifs? Does this grace that you've been given help you with the covetousness of wanting somebody else's life. Because see, that's what Satan will do. Satan will be like, see, God's with them and God's not with you because look what you're going through. Look what's happening in your family. Look what's happening inside of your doors. And that's what he comes along. We've talked about that, the lies of Satan through this series. But the grace that, no, 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 God is with you. God is strengthening you. God will give you his wisdom. God will give you his strength through this and his power. Grace. Does that grace protect you from this type of thinking? Can I boil it down to this? Do you really believe that the every struggle of the heart and every circumstances of your life that you've been given grace? Because that's the purpose of this book, amongst others. But it's a thread of grace all the way through it. Well, he gives us a second theme. And this second theme is going to hurt a little bit. Remember at the beginning of chapter 5, you've got a Shepherd, we've got the chief shepherd, but you've got a shepherd that's, that's willing. This, this one's going to hurt a little bit. So please do not tune me out. I debated on, should I say it that way at the beginning so people tune me out for the hurt? <laughs> but no, don't. St stay locked in. Look at verse number 14. Greet ye, every, ye another, one another, with a kiss of charity. There ought to be a whole lot more kissing going on in our church. Ouch. That's going to hurt, right? No, I'm serious. It's COVID, Ryan. Obviously, I don't mean that kind of kissing. But it's an opportunity for a community to show the beautiful love that we have in Christ. Life in a fallen world, it's hard. I think we can acknowledge that. The uncomfortable grace of sanctification is hard. Oh, it's grace, but it's uncomfortable and it's hard. We saw that all through chapter two, maybe the end of one, kind of all running together in my mind. Rejection, it's hard. You might get rejected from the society. Clearly, these believers are fully rejected because of their faith. Opposition, it is, it is hard. And we should have a sensitivity and a love for one another as we all struggle with that hardship, that there are that you can kiss one another with that love. Maybe it's grabbing somebody by the hand and saying, I love you and I'm praying for you and I am going to be thinking about what you're going through this week. 
What a sweet thing to do. Reaching out to somebody and telling them, hey, hey, the one thing I'm going to do is I'm going to tell me something that I can carry this week. Maybe a burden that, that, that you are carrying. How can I carry that with you in prayer or whatever I can do? Maybe I can serve you in some fashion. Texting somebody that. Talking to someone about that on a Sunday. Hey, how can, how can I, how can we kiss, so to speak? Obviously, it's, it's figurative. Well, not really, because they would do like, you know, kind of on the cheek. But what, I'm, I'm talking about a much deeper principle that, that, that is here. Think of all of us, including myself, did this just a couple times a Sunday or a week. What kind of difference would that make? It's such a little thing. You say, Ryan, that wasn't the hard part. Or maybe you feel like it was. Here comes the hard part. Why are we so busy? Why are we so preoccupied? Why are we so formal? Distant. COVID! We can use that excuse for as long as we want to, but it's going to be sin. At some point, where that line is for you, I'm not here to tell you where that line is. Why are we so distant? Why are we so uncaring? Listen, listen, we, we, we doing okay? Praise God for Psalm 23 next week. Hallelujah. The Lord is my shepherd. Who gathers here? I want you to think about that question. Who gathers here? Needy and people that are still being worked on every single Sunday, including the one that is speaking right now, gathers here. That's us. Beaten up by the struggle of life, beaten up by God's sovereignty to allow us to remain in a broken, suffering world, our allegiance for Jesus. The more we're loud, the more attacks come, whether it is from that allegiance, whether it's from God sanctifying a work in us, or whether it's just, it just happened. There's no reason why. God's not necessarily orchestrated. It's just, it's broken. People sin against us. So some walk in here, some limp in here, some weep coming in here, some stumble in here, and there is an opportunity to love. And here is my question. Are you taking opportunities? To love. Because this epistle is full of love. Chapter 1 talks about love in times of suffering. Go back and read it. After Peter is asked about the uncomfortable grace of sanctification, what he says next is this, love one another deeply from the heart. In chapter 2, we're called to lovingly respond to authority lovingly respond not lovingly chapter 3 we learn that it's practical everyday relationships of life that there's that there's love in that chapter 4 we're called to love in the face of rejection and opposition chapter 5 again looks at the need for and the provision of loving leadership in the church of our lord jesus christ this letter is a letter about love Are you a part of the great transforming agenda of love? 
Are you out there looking for opportunities to express love, to encourage with love, to give love to people whom God places in your pathway? It's time that we get to the point where we see the people that God has placed in our lives. I'm talking about Christians in our lives, where we see the people that are in this room and we start thinking, how can I get together with them? It's time. You wonder why? Because the world is getting harder and harder and harder and harder to live for God. We are becoming more isolated as the days go by. And so we, so Peter's writing to a group of believers that are scattered abroad, and he's saying, hey, when you get together, greet each other with a holy kiss. In other words, like, hey, hey, this is, this is refreshing to be around you. Are you refreshing to be around? Am I, are we, let me totally include myself in that, refreshing to be around? Every time you get up in the morning, you have an opportunity to call somebody. You have an opportunity to pray for somebody. You have an opportunity to text somebody. May God help us. You should never walk out of this gathering feeling unloved. Because if someone does walk out of this gathering feeling unloved, we are doing it wrong. And I said we are doing it wrong. Because love is all over this book. We all right? We doing okay? I told you that, I told you that point was going to hurt. We ought to be looking for opportunities to gather. And so much the more as we see the day approaching, Hebrews will tell us. All right, let's go to the next theme. Let's go to the next theme. We're ending with a bang, ending with a bang. The theme of peace. I like this. Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity, which obviously the word love there. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Is your life a life of rest even though you're suffering? Rest even though things come your way that you don't fully understand. Rest even though there are difficulties that you are facing that you would rather not have in your life. Rest even though there's confusion about what you might face next. Is your heart at rest? I preached an entire sermon on it. But he's kind of coming around at the very end here with rest. We're not finding rest because we're strong. We're not finding rest because we're wise. We're not finding rest because we can figure out all of our circumstances and we can work through all of them. No, we are resting in the power, in the power of the phrase, in Christ Jesus. That's where your rest comes from, my friend. It comes from your relationship with Christ. Christ has called you out of the mass of humanity and he said, you're gonna be my nation. You're going, to be, you're going to be my priesthood. You're going to be a people for my possession. I'm going to fulfill covenant promises that I made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I'm going to do that through you, through the believer in Christ. You've been given a new, awesome, incredible identity. Yes, you might be a, a, a medical worker. Yes, you might be excuse me, a, a financial worker. Yes, you might be maintenance. Yes, you might be whatever the case is. But your greatest identity is in Christ Jesus. And that is where you find your rest. Because you might not always have that job. Sometimes relationships go the way that they shouldn't go. And you might not always have that person. But you have Christ. 
God has taken us by his hand and he's pulled us close and he says, you are mine and I'm not going to let you go. The Lord is not going to lose his grip on us because there's difficulty. The Lord's not going to lose his grip on us because there's rejection or because Satan wants us, because there's a broken world or even a broken church. This, my friend, is the entire message of this book, that you have got grace, you have been so loved, so loved. Did you catch that? You can't even do what I asked you to do just now, apart from the fact that you have been loved. So it's not some backpack that I tried to put on you. Man, I got I to I gotta do better with people. No, you know what we need to do? We need to get under the spout of just the love of God that is poured out for us in Jesus Christ. And you know what that will do? You know what that will do if we're doing it? Flow out of us. Naturally. Christ in us. This has been a book about grace. This has been a book about love. And it's been a book about peace. So how do we live with this peace and productivity, so to speak, in a broken world? Well, you stand firm. You stand firm in God's grace. You really do believe there is grace for every struggle of the heart and grace for every situation of life. You celebrate the fact that you've been called to be part of the community of love. You want to be a part of that. You want to be a part of the growth and the expansion of that love, whether it's in the kingdom of Christians or in the world where they become Christians. You love the fact that you're loved. You love the fact that you have opportunities to love others. And then you know you've been given the gift of peace. Rest. Rest in God's grace. Rest in God's sovereignty. Rest in his wisdom. What a beautiful life this is. Even in the midst of hardships. Even in the midst of being rejected. Why does rejection hurt so much? Because God created us relationally. Created us that way. It should hurt. But even in the midst of that, there's a peace, there's a rest. That life is the gift. This life is the gift of the suffering Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible says he came and lived a perfect life. He suffered a cruel death. He rose. We've sung about this. He conquered death so that we might have life and that we might have it, according to John 10, more abundantly. And if our life is just this, we're missing something, guys. We're missing First Peter. Somehow we thought life was going to be different. We got onto the throne of our own life, our own heart, and we said, this is what the good life is. And we learn in this book that We spent three weeks on it, what the good life is in submission to Christ. Jesus provides such rich grace for every need. He provides a community of love to warn, support. I've done a little warning today, but I also want to support you. You've been given the grace, comfort, and courage. He provides a peace that passes all understanding. 
And so maybe you're here. Maybe you're here this afternoon, this morning, and you'd say, you know what, I don't, I don't know that grace. I don't, I don't know that rest. I've not experienced the, the type of love that you have discussed. I don't, I don't know this type of peace. I don't feel like I live in a community that, that, really, that really loves. Then I'd plead with you this morning to cry out before the Lord. Cry out before him and say, Lord, help me to understand. Help me to see your love, God, in your son, Jesus Christ. Help me to perceive that grace. Please rescue me from my sin. Forgive me for my sin. Save me from my sin. Open my eyes so I can see that Jesus is the answer to this life. And you know what he'll do? If you call out to him that way, you don't have to word it that way. Acknowledge that you need a savior, that Jesus Christ died to pay for that sin. You know what you do? You'll draw nigh to him. And you know what the Bible says? He will draw nigh to you. He will not turn you away. What love is that? But Ryan, you don't know what I would be bringing him. Oh, he does. And it's worth nothing compared to what Christ did. You bring all that baggage and you know what he will do? He won't turn you away. If you'll come in faith and you'll trust him as your savior. Celebrate his grace. Kiss someone with his love and rest and rest in his peace. That's First Peter, guys. Grace, love, peace. Can you imagine what a group of people that live those three things out can do? Oh, you know what it actually can do? Can turn the world upside down because that's exactly what these early believers did. They believed it. They got under the spout of who Jesus is and it flushed itself out through their lives. Every head bowed, every eye closed.